All right, we've been doing this series on faith, this idea of believing in things that we can't see, that, that haven't happened yet. You know, there's some people in the world that think we're absolutely crazy for believing what we believe. Um, Pastor Ed last week talked about how if we don't have times where we struggle some with our faith, then it might not really be genuine faith that we might just be saying things that we've been taught or that other people have told us to say if we don't sometimes struggle with our faith. We're, you know, we're in the middle of a life in a broken world, and there's going to be some times where it's going to be challenging. I spent the last 30 years as pastors and counselors working with people going through all kinds of circumstances that have brought questions to their mind about God. Um, those that have gone through a divorce, and it was absolutely the last thing that they ever wanted. It was not their desire, not their intent, where they ended up in their marriage was totally different than what they anticipated or, or thought was going to happen. Um, those that have gone through a time where they thought life was kind of smoothing out and things were going pretty well, and then all of a sudden um, somebody in the family um, gets a report of a disease that is in their body or a family member's body and and, or those that we've dealt with that have gone through the, lo the loss of a child, which has to be one of the most difficult things to deal with. Children are supposed to outlive us. That's not supposed to happen. People have all gone through all different kinds of losses, uh, gone through times where they've been discouraged and depressed and have a hard time even staying in the game, have a hard time um, even feeling like they want to get out of bed every day. Those that have gone through betrayals in their life, uh, betrayal of a business partner or a friend or a spouse. And, and when people go through these kinds of things, it brings up questions. What, why is this happening? Where, where is God in this? If God's good, as we talk about, we're, this doesn't feel very good, God. Um, why is this happening to me? Are you paying attention, God? Are you even, are you even involved in our, in our life? Or is it something about me? Is it Something I've done wrong, or maybe I've not done something good enough. Each one of these questions is a crisis of faith that, that we go through. We, on one end, we begin to question God. And where is he, and why is he not doing something different? On the other end, we begin to question ourselves, or um, there must be something wrong with me. And so no doubt, with the ups and downs, the victories and losses of life, that this is going to be challenging sometime. Our faith is going to be something that sometimes we struggle with. And so we have to ask ourselves, who is God? Who is the God that I believe in? You know, it's hard to really know somebody that we can't touch or we can't see, isn't it? And we have to ask ourselves, who do I believe in? Do I believe in God the scorekeeper? The one that's up there going, mm-hmm, messed up on that one, mm-hmm, messed up on that one. I hope God's not mad at me because I didn't talk to Uncle Frank at Thanksgiving. Just couldn't face it this year. Is that what we believe, that he is a scorekeeper that's keeping track of everything? Or do we believe in a good and loving and kind God? Who do we believe? If we look at our belief in God, we'll see how it colors how we look at all the world, how we look at the future whether we have fear or not, whether we have hope. And you guys have been around us long enough to know that we believe the heart of God is good and that he has good for us. Regardless of what the circumstances look like, 
God is good. We have a, over our kitchen um, doorway, we have the sticker kind of things that say, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. We hit some hard things in life, but we believe that the heart of God is for us and is to bless us. That's part of the reason why we do the blessing at the end of every service. You know, we risk it being redundant or becoming too ritualistic. But we say the blessing over you because we want you to remember that God's heart is to bless you, that he loves you. You know, you go throughout your life, and there's probably not a whole lot of people that are walking around blessing you. Have you noticed that? We live in a world with imperfect humans, and they're not always out blessing us. Sometimes they can be mean. We have imperfect parents. We have imperfect spouses. We work with imperfect people. We actually hear sermons from imperfect people. And because of that, sometimes we don't remember the goodness that's in our life. And so we want to talk today about the goodness of God and really focusing on the fact that his ways are higher than our ways. He doesn't act as humans do. It's his heart to bless us. This blessing that we say at the end of services, uh, to be honest with you, the very first time I heard that, um, I thought some, a pastor stood up and said this blessing to his congregation. I thought, okay, wait a second. How exactly does this work? I mean, who is this guy? Uh, I mean, I know he's a pastor. He's you know, got a role here. But how, how is it that he just says this and all of a sudden you're blessed? I mean, how does that work? Or he somehow manipulates heaven and gets God to, to bless you because he's standing up here, you know, a little higher than everybody saying this? I mean, how does this work? So it caused us to go back to where did this come from? Where, where did this idea of the blessing come from? Uh, the one that we say at the end of every service comes from Numbers. Uh, number 6, and we're going to look at that uh, a little closer here today. Numbers 6, 22 to 27. Uh, it's actually called the Aaronic Blessing. Now, it's not the ironic blessing, um, but it's, uh, it's from uh, a man's named Aaron. He was Moses' brother. The idea was that, that God told Moses, tell your brother Aaron to go bless my people with this. And so, it says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Now the thing that we want you to hear the most, this is also called the priestly blessing, the role of the priest in the Old Testament. The, one of the main functions of the priest was to be the mouthpiece of God to bless the people. Now the thing I want you to hear if you miss everything else that we've said is that who started this? Um, was this something that God was watching the Israelites and they were doing such a good job at this life? That that whole wandering in the desert thing, they were spectacular in how they responded. Uh, if you've read that story, not so much, right? Um, probably more doubt was going on than faith. So it wasn't like, wow, these guys are so good at what they do. I think I'm going to bless them. It was actually just the opposite. It, it came from his heart. It, came, it was God's idea. He said, I want you, Moses, to tell your brother Aaron to say this to my people 
So remember that as we're talking about this. It was God's idea. It's not anything that we earned. The Israelites didn't earn it. We don't earn it today, but it comes from him. The priest at this time was the go-between between God and his people. And so the priest would come and they would give the message, this is God speaking to you. And then he would take the things that the people were saying and he would take those back to God. In fact, in the tabernacle, there was even an area that was the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could enter into. Not everyone was allowed to go in and be with God. We see in Hebrews 9 the story of what this separation was, and then it talks about how Jesus took away that separation. So we're going to look at the first few, chat, or first few verses. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first rooms were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. Now, we could go off on a whole tangent here, do a whole series on the tabernacle and all the different things that it represented. But the thing I want you to pull from this is there were three main things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. It's a jar of manna, uh, this, this staff that budded, um, and the Ten Commandments. Now, think about what those represented. Remember manna? Remember it was this bread that kind of rained out of heaven that that uh, sustained the children of Israel in their wandering in the desert. Kind of a big thing. Any of you ever seen manna? I haven't, okay? Kind of, kind of a big thing happened there. This staff that was budding, Aaron's staff, if you know the story there, they were trying to choose who was going to be the next person to lead. And so they had all these men come and put their staff. Now these were hardwood staff. Um, they put them out in the middle and they prayed over them and... The next day they came in and one of them was budding. Okay, two before us having little buds come out of it, okay? Um, kind of a big deal, fairly miraculous deal, right? And then the Ten Commandments. This is something that Moses came off the mountain with that God spoke to him about and, and uh, something very significant that happened there. God's saying, remember, remember how I took care of you. Remember what took place in the desert. The number one thing that helps us through difficulty, that helps us with our faith, is to look back on what God's done in the past. If we had a microphone passed around, um, we, could all, we all have a story, don't we? Do you have a story of what God brought you out of? I do. Things that he delivered me from, thing that he, things that he took me through, questions that I had that he put me back on the right course. I think back on my life and think of different decisions and different things that could have happened, and I could have been way off on another planet. But we have a story. And so think about what's your story. What has he done in your past? What, what has he done that gives you hope that whatever you're facing today, whatever challenge that you're facing today or tomorrow, will he not do it again? Will he not continue to be faithful in that way? So always think back. Um, and that's what this section is trying to tell us, to look back and remember what he's done in the past. I encourage people to keep mental snapshots a picture of a time that I knew that God was working on my behalf. 
where I felt peaceful, where I felt safe, where I felt secure. Remember those things. Keep those in your mind. As I thought about this, I thought about a couple different things in my life where I felt at peace, where I felt safe. One of them was when I was a little girl. Um, some of you that are old enough will remember before car seats, when we didn't have car seats, and you'd go on a family vacation, and if you weren't riding in the back window, laying down in the back window, then a lot of times you would lay down on the floor in the back seat. And they were all the big, wide, old cars, so there was a lot of room, and there was a hump in the middle. And so I would curl up in that and put my head on the hump. And if you remember, it would be really warm, and there would be the hum of the engine, and so you'd go to sleep all curled up there. And I remember pulling in the driveway from a trip, and I would wake up. But if you pretended like you were still asleep, then your dad would come, and he would scoop you up in those great big strong arms, and he would take you upstairs and tuck you in bed. And it was such a safe and secure feeling. And I remember that feeling of being taken care of by my dad. Everything was okay because dad was going to pick me up and he was going to take me where I needed to be. And then the other snapshot that I thought of was our 25th wedding anniversary. We um, planned for a long time and we went to Scotland for our 25th wedding anniversary. And one day we were playing golf on the Isle of Mull. And we were up on the top of this hill, which I thought of as a mountain because I'm from Kansas. Um, but, but we were up on the top of this hill on the mountain playing golf, and we could look and see the sea all the way around the island. And it was bright and clear and crisp, and I could see the sun sparkling off the sea. And then there was a field right next to the golf course, and it was spring, and there were all these sheep in Scotland and baby lambs, and there were daffodils that were blooming throughout the field. And I stood there, and I looked at the beauty of everything around me, and I thought about the fact that, you know, I was young and dumb when I got married, and I was so grateful that I had been married to this boy that I met that turned into this wonderful man, and that I'd been married to him for 25 years, and we were blessed with these children, and and it was such a feeling of peace and contentment and that everything is right with the world, that God is here. And it didn't mean we didn't have things we weren't going to go back to. We'd been through a lot. And we had a lot we were going to go back to that we needed to deal with. But in that moment, everything felt peaceful. And it was like God was saying, enjoy where you're at right now. Celebrate where you're at right now and trust me that just as I've been faithful in the past, I'm going to take care of everything else for you. And as I thought about those two memories, I thought that is probably a more accurate reality than what I live every day. Because every day, I get caught up in stuff. I get busy, and I start thinking that it's all dependent on me, that I have to work hard enough, and oh, if something went wrong, I must not have done something right or somebody's mad at me, or I've disappointed somebody, or people think this, or they think that, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. That's not reality. Reality is we are safe in God's hands, that just as he's been faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future, and that we can't confuse our God with the scorekeeper that says, no, you did that wrong. No, you did that wrong. We can trust in his goodness and we can trust in who he is. But we have to remind ourselves, and I think the children of Israel, why God had the manna 
and the staff and the Ten Commandments was to remind them of the faithfulness of him. And so I'd encourage you, look at your own life and go, what are things that remind me that I am safe in his arms and that he's going to take care of me? As we continue on here in Hebrews, um, you'll see that when Jesus came, that something changed. Something changed in this separation that was between where people could be in the holy place and then the holy of holies that the high priest could only go one time a year where God was, that there's something that changed here. And Hebrews 9.11 says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, which is what the high priest would do. He would take um, blood of goats and calves and take it into the Holy of Holies for the sins of the people. Um, But he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences, cleanse the inside of us. It changes the inside of us from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So Jesus, when he came, I love this this statement in Matthew where Jesus is on the cross and one of the very last things that takes place he was giving his life to be that high priest, his, the final sacrifice that was necessary. He said, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. So this separation all of a sudden was taken away. So not only is it in God's heart to continue to bless us, but we don't have to have somebody else stand in our place. We don't have to have a truly just human person um, stand up and say this or do this. You don't have to wait to the end of the, end of the uh, service to have a pastor say these words, that this is something that you can receive from the heart of God that can come directly to you. Uh, Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Not begrudgingly, but graciously. So let's take a look briefly at the blessing. The word the Lord is used three times within the blessing. And in the original language, there's slightly different nuances to it each time. And it seems to refer to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to take a look at these. The first one, the Lord, the Father, bless you and keep you. This seems to be a statement focused more on the community. The Lord bless and keep the community of his people. Keep them safe from harm, from outward things that would come upon them, from evil, from sickness, from calamity, from poverty. He wants to protect his people and take care of his people, that he would preserve his community to move on into what he has for them. If we look at Psalms 121, it says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. 
The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now this says preserve you. Now what does that mean? Does that mean we're never going to have a bad thing happen to us? Does it mean we're never going to get sick? I got sick last week. Um, that's not what it means. We talked about that. There's going to be difficult things that are going to take place. But this word preserve means to keep you free from harm or destruction, free from decay. We are going to go through hurtful things, but he will keep us. When we have stepped into relationship with him, there's this umbrella of blessing that he will keep us from harm, from decay, from rot. What does that, what does that mean? What is decay and rot? Well, that could certainly be bitter or resentful. Or I've totally lost hope or I've turned my back uh, on God or I've given up. That would be rot and decay. Um, you've heard us say this before. John 16 makes it real clear. In this world, you will have trouble. There's going to be hurts. There's going to be difficulties. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And not only are there going to be difficulties, but James in, one, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, kind of flips this upside down. And not only um, will I preserve you from, from harm or from decay or from rot, but it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there's this idea that under the blessing of God, that even when we go through difficulties, that if we lean into him, that he can flip upside down what the enemy meant for harm, for rot and for decay. And if we can lean into him, then he can somehow flip that around and turn it together for our good. Um, I, was, I was thinking about, have you ever been through a time where you just feel like you're not going to make it through? It's like, I, I do not think that I can bear up under this thing. And we look back on it months or years later, and we go, yes, God preserved me through that. It was difficult, and yet he took me through it and got me to the other side when it seemed impossible. Uh, several weeks ago, I had somebody ask me to go through labor with them um, as they had a baby. And I was reminded of just when you think you can't bear it any longer, just when it's like, okay, give me the drugs, give me anything, I'm dying here, I'm miserable. Uh, this particular person said she felt like going, would you please just shoot me? Could you kill me or something because I'm at the end? <coughs> That's when the baby is about to come. God can preserve us through the most difficult of circumstances. Yes, we will feel pain. Yes, we will go through hard things. And yet he's able to deliver us and preserve us. And when you look back on things, how many of you know that it's those kinds of difficulties that we look back on and actually, I don't know about you, but I'm actually thankful for. I see what God took me through and what he sustained me through and the strength and the development that happened in those moments would not have happened if everything had just been easy and, and all, all gone well. The second part of that, the Lord, this would represent the Son, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The idea of face shine gives the expression of light. So he's bringing light into dark places. It's, it's bringing renewal in places that are dead, things that are not being productive, that he'll bring life and productivity into those places. 
Uh, it means that he wants good for you. That even when you're going through a time where it doesn't feel good, you can know that he wants good for you. That there is a future of good. That there is a future of believing that this can somehow be turned around. People that go through dark places of discouragement, one of the first things they begin to face is that there's, there's no good ahead. There's, there's no hope for the future. It's, it's all going to be bad. But in him, under this umbrella of blessing, um, there always can be an expectation of good ahead. His face also represents his presence. This is the whole idea of Jesus coming and being present with us, that, that he, he wants a face-to-face kind of relationship and then gracious. You hear us talk about that a lot, this idea of unmerited favor. But it's not just that. It is also, not only is there pardon, not only is there when you get off track and you go your own direction, but he pulls us back in and he gives us favor. But it's also, he also will give us the power and strength. That's also what grace means, the power and strength of God. Uh, When we say grace and peace to you in, in our greeting, that means the power and strength of God in your situation. You are not dependent on your own strength here. You do not have to do this yourself. It is his grace and his power that you can depend on. And then the Lord, the Holy Spirit, turn his face towards you and give you peace. This, just, this isn't just grace to the whole world that you happen to be in. This is grace to you individually. This is God looking at you as a person and smiling on you and saying, I really love you. I'm very fond of you. I want to have a personal relationship with you. You are special to me. And it talks about peace, that he would give you peace. Peace isn't just an absence of conflict. Peace here refers more to shalom, an overall sense of well-being, that all is right with your soul, that all is right and good. God's heart is to know you personally, to turn towards you and to help you feel that feeling of being fully loved and fully accepted in him and having peace to walk through all the stuff of life. And then this final statement, which we usually don't even include when we say the blessing over you, it says, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. They will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. There's something about when we step into relationship with God that his name gets put on us. Many years ago, I had um, an opportunity. A, a friend and I were talking over lunch one day, and, and there happened to be a, uh, a golf tournament that was coming up, and it happened to be one of the major tournaments. If you don't play golf, it doesn't mean anything to you. Um, but for those of us that have played golf in our life, the idea of kind of going to one of the major tournaments is kind of a cool thing. But it was like way too expensive for me to actually pay for it. And so I was just willing to stay home and watch it on television. But he said, let me see if I can work out something for you. And so he worked it out where I got to, the, got to the tournament. He said, meet me at this particular gate. And I met him there. And uh, he said, here, take this. And it was something like this. Um, he said, put this around your neck. And uh, this will help you have a better day and, and enjoy this. So just, just go on and enjoy the day. And, and so I started blindly going into the tournament and walking around and seeing everybody. And it was like 100 degrees out. And so I kind of got tired pretty fast. And, 
But if you've been at one of these tournaments, um, particularly a major tournament, there are like all these big, huge white tents. And all these are, these sponsors have these tents. And they have about everything to spoil, you know, grown-ups with um, in these tents. And so different ones are sponsored by Mercedes or BMW or golf stuff. Or they have buffet lines of all the kind of food that you would want. They're all air-conditioned and have big screen television. So if you get tired, you can go in there and sit. And, and uh, I had no idea anything about these tents. And so... So I started just kind of walking around and noticing that people were going to these tents. I wondered, I wonder how you get in there. But I always noticed that at the door of every one of these, there was some kind of big guy standing there, and he was kind of checking badges. And and uh, looked like as many people were getting turned away as that were being allowed in. And so I said, well, let me just try this. And so I walked up to the this first tent, and and this guy had just turned a couple of people away, and he noticed me. Now, it really wasn't me, okay, but he noticed my badge. And um, he said, oh, sir, come this way. Come over here. Um, and he was just kind of pushing other people out of the way. He opened the door for me. He said, come right on in. Just help yourself. Sweet. Um, so I walk in, and it was the first buffet line out of, I don't know how many I went to that day. Um, but it had, like, everything imaginable. So I just, like, oh, okay, I'm in here. I guess it looks like just people are getting their plates and got a plate full of stuff and went and sat down and watched it. And I said, well, this is nice. Um, so I, you know, left and went and watched a little bit more of the tournament. I said, let's try this again. And I went to another one, and, and I don't know what it was, BMW or something. I said, well, that'd be cool. We'll look at that. And, and I went in and got some of their paraphernalia and, and uh, uh, another buffet line. And so helped myself again. And I did this over and over. I mean, I tried every tent I went to. Sir, come right on in. I still have no idea what he gave me, okay? Because you weren't supposed to be able to go anywhere. I mean, I went into the, the clubhouse, everywhere I wanted to in the clubhouse, just anything I wanted to do. Um, point is with this, it's not about my little fun day. Um, the point is that that's what happens when you step into faith with God. That he puts this on you. He puts his name on you. It doesn't have anything to do with you had nothing to do with me. I couldn't even pay the entrance fee. Um, but because somebody had put their name on me, I got into all the places. That's what this blessing is about. Because he's put his name on you. It's not how your week went. It's not whether you've been good enough. It's not whether you've you know, done good enough to overcome the bad you've done. It, it's not because, any of that. It's because it's in his heart to bless his children. Can you believe that? That's what we get when we step into faith with God. Now, does that mean nothing bad will ever happen in your life? No. I just, I think I made that clear, right? We're still going to have difficulties. We're still going to have challenges. When I went out of the tents, it was still 100 degrees, okay? I got hot. I got sunburned. Don't, didn't have a hat, okay? Um, but, uh, but even when you're going through that difficulty, you know there's, there's a tent over here with his blessing that that they're going to open the doors wide open for me. It's something that he wants. Even when you're going through a difficult circumstance, you can trust that good is ahead. And so every time that we stand up here and say these words, uh, again, we're not trying to yank heaven. We're not, it has nothing to do with us. We just happen to be in this role. We're just reminding you of what's in the heart of God already to bless you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you. 
has nothing to do with your circumstances. His blessing has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with the economics. It has nothing to do with the trade balance with China. It has nothing to do with that. His blessings are his blessings. He owns it all. He knows exactly what's going on. He's the healer. He's the protector. He's the sustainer for 10,000 years and 10,000 more and 10,000 more. It's, it's all because of him. You can trust him. Why don't you stand on your feet? We know, as we've said, we've got the badge. You can trust in his blessing. You can take it on. You can receive it. You can believe in it. But we know that you're going to walk through some stuff. You're going to walk out of here. And if, again, if we had a microphone to pass it around, every single one of you would have something you're going through right now that you're challenged with, that you that you can't quite see how it's going to work out, or you've lost hope that it's ever going to change, or, or something is, has, you're going through a season of life that you're, you didn't expect, you didn't know how, how to, that this is even going to happen, and you're not sure if you're going to feel better again, and all kinds of stuff. We could, we could pass every single one of you would have a story. Every single one of you have something you're going through. We're all still wrestling with this. That's why we have a prayer team over here at the end of our services, um, we're, we're, we're in this together, okay? We're all a little bit afraid of telling our story to each other because we're not sure what everybody's going to think of us because if I tell you I'm struggling, you might think that I'm not a strong enough Christian or I might not be, you know, believing the right things or claiming the right things or whatever it is and therefore you might look down on me so we all freak out a little bit and we all stay a little disconnected. I'm telling you, everybody's got something they're going through right now. Everybody's got something that they're dealing with, that they feel their humanity. And so that's why we pray for each other. That's why we encourage each other. That's why we stand with each other. We're in this together. So know that. And so our prayer team will be there. Let's lift our voices.